The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. I invite you to read along with me as we go through, starting with verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare boldly as I ought to speak. This is the end of Scripture. Pastor Josh will come forward with the message. Glorious. Well, again, good morning, Acts. Good to see you guys here this morning. Uh, If I'm a little bit slow moving today, we had Luther Fest yesterday, which was an absolute blast, uh, but also exhausting. Uh, So I I did wake up, I was proud of myself, and I got here, which also proud of myself. But uh, we are in the last week, as Tanner said, of our Ephesians series. And it's not just been us, but every Axe Church in the region, so Axe Lakeway, Axe Lake Line, Axe Kyle, and us have all been going chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through Ephesians and talking about what Paul wrote to the local church in Ephesus some 2,000 years ago. We talked about how in chapter 1 it talks about how God has a plan. And how, like the song said earlier and we read earlier, God predestined you to be a part of that plan before he set the world's foundations, right? He knew you were going to come and he had a plan for you. And then we get into chapter 2 and chapter 3 and we realize that this plan isn't something we have to figure out and reach up into heaven for, but heaven came to earth. Jesus showed up and by grace alone, by this divine favor of God, we get brought into the plan. And then we actually get sent out to be agents of reconciliation and agents of goodwill, and we're each uniquely equipped to be about what God is about. This last section of Scripture, chapter 6, in my opinion, is the closest to uh, a phone call where you're maybe talking to a parent, and they're trying to give you all the wisdom in like two minutes, like the like, checklist of like, don't forget this, and don't forget this, and don't forget that, and oh, don't forget to shower, or don't forget, you know, if you've ever sent your child away on a camp retreat, and you got to do the checklist. That's kind of what Paul tends to do at the end of his letters, uh, and so we're going to just kind of see what some of those things are. Uh, Before we do that, we're going to dive in in prayer and just pray that God speaks as we go forward. Heavenly Father, Lord, you're a good God. You're a God who uh, continually finds ways to speak your life and your truth into our lives. Lord, as we wrap up this this series on Ephesians, I pray that you continue to speak, uh, that we're moved, and that we are otherwise uh, drawn into your story. Lord, we say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. So, starting right off, verse by verse, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. 
Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise that it may go well with you and that you may live a long life in the land. And fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So chapter 5 was all about relationships and how we have right relationships with one another and how oftentimes those relationships don't come natural to our sinful predisposition to one another. Because in our sin, we want to make it all about us. We become the center of the universe. And what Paul is saying in chapter 5 is you're not the center. God's the center. And when we rightly relate to him, it's easier to rightly relate to each other. And so that was verse 5. But then chapter 6, he gets into how families operate. And he's actually quoting one of the Ten Commandments here. Honor your mother and father. And he says, this one actually comes with a promise that it will go well with you and that you may live a long life in the land. This is a promise that actually says that God's primary place for developmental growth was meant to be in the families. Sometimes we like to outsource our growth. And so, well, our kids will learn about that at youth group, or our kids will learn about that at school, or our kids can learn about that on YouTube, or whatever it is. But what we see in Scripture clearly is that, no, that God's original design for families, for our individual growth, was that we, under our parents, that we would be raised up and that we would learn and we would be shaped by them, that it may go well with us. Now, I do have hope for you who, like me, come from what I lovingly refer to as putting the fun in dysfunctional families, right? Where none of us are perfect. No one in the mirror, no parent gets it 100% right. And thankfully, grace and grace alone abounds in that. And yet you still have this truth that, no, the family is the place where parents are called to pour into their children, to instruct them, to guide them, to help shape them. That way they have a foundation to stand on that's bigger than themselves as they grow. So he starts off with that, and then he goes into a different type of relationship. And he says, bond servants, and this would also be known as slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would in Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants or slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering services with a good will as to the Lord and not to man knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant, a slave, or is free. Now, masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. So this is a often historically misused section of scripture because we hear about slaves and we're like, oh, see, God's totally okay with slaves. And so pre the Civil War, we would look at scriptures like this and be like, see, slavery is totally condoned in scripture. That is not what is happening here. We talked about this last week, about how there are prescriptive scriptures and there are descriptive scriptures. Prescriptive is God is prescribing a very specific thing to his people. Love your neighbor as yourself. That is a prescribed, you're supposed to do this. Honor your mother and father. Do not steal. Do not kill or do not murder. These are prescriptions, very clear, black and white, this is what's going on. However, most of, scripture, most of Scripture isn't prescriptive, it's descriptive. It's talking about how we operate, what our posture looks like. 
And so it will take a situation and it will tell wives, act like this in this situation. Or it will say men or fathers, act like this in this situation. Not that women always have to wear head coverings for the rest of their life, like it says in 1 Timothy, right? No, but at that time, in that culture, this was the description of how to operate, right? That's what's happening here. What Paul is not saying is slavery is okay. What he is saying is that no matter what situation, what relationship we are in, there is an opportunity to love and to serve one another. No matter how unjust that relationship is, there is still a way for Christians to act. And all of us, in some form or fashion, are in unjust relationships. It might be an unjust relationship with a boss or with a family member. It might be with neighbors that we have, whatever it is, right? We live in a broken world. Relationships aren't perfect. And what Paul is saying is that no matter what situation you are in, there is a way for you as a Christian to respond, to be able to love and serve one another as if you are love and serving Christ, he says. And he says that goes for both the slave and the master, that there is a way for this to operate. Paul, when he is writing this, is in prison. He's not saying, I, it's just that God's happy that I'm in prison for my faith. But he is saying that even if I am in this unjust situation, there is a right way to respond. There is a loving way, a serving way to respond. I was thinking through modern stories of what this looks like, and I came up and remembered the story of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a Lutheran pastor my opinion, kind of the OG Lutheran pastor, the original gangster, right? So he was out in Germany during the uh, reign and terror of Hitler. And he was trying to figure out what it looked like to be a Christian. And this guy did amazing things. He helped smuggle out Jews out of the country to protect them from death. He started seminaries. He started communes. He went to America and learned under the African church. He actually was part of the Valkyrie plot to kill Hitler. Eventually, he was so persecuted, his name got so big, he was such a hindrance to Hitler that Hitler threw him in jail. And this comes from his biography. And here at the end, how he responds to those who are persecuting him. So in 1936, because of his anti-Nazi views, Bonhoeffer was no longer permitted to teach at the University of Berlin. Okay, so this is not a just situation. Right? He's no longer allowed to be a teacher. Two years later, he was forbidden to even live in Berlin. In the 1940s, the German authorities forbade him to speak in public, and he had to report regularly to the police. Bonhoeffer was engaged to be married, but he was arrested, and he was eventually killed before his fiancée could be married. And during the Allied bombing raids over Berlin, Bonhoeffer's calm deeply impressed his fellow prisoners at Tegel Prison. Now here, this last description. Prisoners and even guards used all kinds of tricks to get near him and find comfort of exchanging a few words with him. He's in prison. He's on death row. This is not justice. And yet, even in that situation, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was able to be a source of light, not only to his, four, his fellow prisoners, but the guards were like, dude, I got to find a way to get into cell block C. I just got to talk to him a little bit because there's so much light, there's so much goodness in this man that even in that unjust situation, God had a role and a way for him to be love and service to those around him. That's what Paul is getting at. 
He continues on and he says, So finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not battle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So we helped Kenya build a house. There was another pastor out in New York City who helped build an entire neighborhood of homes working with the disadvantaged, working with uh, foreign immigrants that were coming in. And he was working with a Jewish contractor. And uh, they were doing this for the good of the community, and yet regulations and governments and corrupt officials kept getting in their way. And the, the contractor was getting frustrated. And the pastor said, well, you know, we don't battle against flesh and blood. It's not individuals we're battling against. And he quoted him the scripture. And the Jewish contractor was like, I really like that. Where is that from? And he said, well, it's from the New Testament. He's like, write that down for me. And so he had his son write it down in calligraphy. And when these officials would come to try to slow up the process of this housing development, the Jewish contractor would look and say, you are a part of the forces of evil stopping us from doing good for this community, right? But the reality was, is it's not individuals that we're at war against. And that's hard for us to think through sometimes. It's hard for us to understand. We are not at war with individuals. All of us could come up with a name that if we said out loud, it would just up the back of our spine. Because they've hurt us. Or they've said things against us. But what Paul says is, you are not at war with individuals. You are not at war with other humans. There is a darker force at play. It's that sin thing. And so he reframes how we look at one another. And he's going to explain what that looks like for the gospel of peace in a little bit. But again, he really nails home, guys, we are not at war with other human beings. Christianity is not at war with another people group another group of politics, another group of foreigners, another religion even. We are not at war with people. Our war is against something deeper and more dark and more insidious. He goes on, he says, so therefore take up the whole armor of God, and we're going to unpack that in a minute. Why though? That you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. You know, sometimes when the chaos and the darkness of life starts pouring down around us, it can be overwhelming. And we can start having those thoughts, I don't even know what I'm supposed to do next. Because right now, the storm and the chaos and the hurt is just too strong. And what Paul says is, he doesn't say, so go out and take another one for the team. He says, the goal sometimes is just to still stand. That when the storm's done, you're still on your feet. Because at the end of the day, we're not doing the heavy lifting, Jesus is. We're not necessarily always called to have the banner waving strongly and taking the next piece of ground. Sometimes in Scripture, it's just, it's going to be hard, but God is going to provide you the strength to withstand this season, and when you come out the other end, you'll keep walking again. But he says, at the end of the day, to just withstand and to stand firm at the end is enough sometimes. And again, for me, there's comfort there. There's strength there. And then he starts to unpack, okay, so what does this armor of God look like? He says, so therefore, stand therefore, having fastened on this belt of truth, 
having put on a breastplate of righteousness, as for shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. The first message I ever heard on this section of Scripture was a pastor who had been leading a youth group, and one of his students had gone off to college. And at college, she had kind of fallen in with a crowd that liked to party and liked to stay out late and wasn't going to church. And she came back home, and she was talking to her pastor, and she said, it's so hard to be a Christian at college. And she's telling him all these things that she's doing. And he goes, well, well my, my sister in Christ, it's because you're a spiritual streaker. And she's like, what? She goes, well, you got the helmet of salvation on, but none of the other armor, right? And sometimes we do that as Christians. We're like, well, I'm saved by grace and faith alone, and so I got Jesus. I know where my salvation is, but we're not wearing anything else. And then we're wondering why we're getting just absolutely wrecked by the world. Because it's more than just knowing where your salvation comes from. Don't get me wrong, that's part of the armor, but that's not the only part. And so looking at the different pieces of armor, I was just kind of looking through and thinking... What are the things that get in the way of that? And one of the nice things about the second service, it's a little quieter, so we can kind of reflect a little bit more. And so I just really want to reflect on each of these questions. So first on, he says, the belt of truth. So think for a moment, where do you listen for voices of truth in your life? Is it what you see on social media? Is it your best thinking? Is it the Bible? Do you have people in your life who can speak truth? That can speak what God is up to and how God is moving. Because there are thousands, if not millions of voices, and most of them are going to lie to you. They're going to tell you lies about yourself, lies about a situation, lies about God. And yet we have a God who says, no, I have sources of truth for you. And it's going to help you withstand when that chaos comes. He talks about the breastplate of righteousness. This is how we act. So think for a moment. What actions or lifestyles are leaving chinks in your armor, are leaving gaps? Right? Maybe we're overindulging in media. Too much Netflix, too many video games, or we're online too much, or we're having conversations with people, or we're fighting back when maybe we should allow peace to just reign. But how we live, the choices we make, either strengthen us or put us at a disadvantage when the hurt of life comes a-knocking. The gospel of peace. And we talked about this earlier, but who are you at war with right now? Someone at work? Someone at school? A family member? A neighbor? We're not called to be at war with anyone. It's not humans. And that doesn't mean that we're going to reconcile every relationship, right? There are some relationships that at this moment in time aren't going to get better. 
And yet you don't have to continually be at war with them. You can separate yourself and be like, you know what, this isn't healthy, this is toxic, and so I'm going to remove myself from this situation. I am going to disengage the emotional charge that's here. That's hard. Because sometimes we've got some deep, deep scars and we're really ready to repay. (laughs) And yet God says, no, the gospel of peace, this gospel of forgiveness and reconciliation is supposed to set us up differently. Talks about the shield of faith. When the turbulation comes, when the storms hit, where's your ultimate confidence? We talked about last week how anywhere else other than God, if you're putting your faith, it can be taken away. If it's in your job, you can lose it. If it's in your bank account, it can all disappear. If it's in your health, one day all of our health is going to fail us. Death and taxes, we got those two things for certain, right? Anything else other than God can be taken away from you. So when those arrows come, anything else that we're trying to stand on is going to be quicksand. It's not going to withstand the storm. The helmet of salvation. Where do we ultimately find our security in our relationship with God? Oftentimes, as Christians, we can be Jesus plus, right? Yes, it's Jesus, but it's also plus how many times I made it to church this month, how often I read the Bible, how often I prayed. You have divine favor, not by your own works, not by being good enough. And that doesn't mean that showing up to church, reading your Bible, these are all good things. These are going to help you. But they're not the foundation of your salvation. They're not the heartbeat that's going to keep you alive. That's grace alone. And then he says, the sword of God's word, the only offensive piece of the armor. Are you being shaped by the word of God? Not just being able to quote it, not just reading it, but saying, no, this is the story of who our God is. This is the narrative of his church and his family. And how are we engaging that word so it shapes us and it molds us and it changes how we relate to others. It changes how we act with that breastplate of righteousness? How are you being molded by the narrative of God? And how are you using that then to engage the world that has a lot of darkness in it? How does that change your posture to when you're having an argument or when something happens to you? See, each of these things by themselves is easy to quote, but when you have to start unpacking it and looking like, how am I doing this in my life? All of us have some room to grow. Pastor at the front of the line there. Because the guy in the mirror is still a work in progress, and thankfully we have a God who continually breathes his life back into us and says, you're not done yet. And then he says to pray, he says, so to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, praying for them, and also for me that the words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, the good news of who our God is for which I am an ambassador of chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. One of the false dichotomies we have with prayer is that prayer either changes us or prayer changes the world, and the answer is yes. Prayer is both an internal change. When you pray, it changes you. It changes your posture. It changes your faith. It strengthens that shield. It strengthens the voice of truth in your life. 
but it also is a supplication to our Father, who's God. And it changes things. And so when we pray for others, we have a God who still actually moves. And so it is both an internal and an external force of a God who is still at work in this world. And ultimately for that gospel that Paul is talking about, that gospel that forgives, that gospel that reconciles, that gospel that puts broken communities back together again. And that's the plan. That's chapter one, that's chapter two. God's saying, I've got a plan for the world and it's to stop the war. Stop the wars between us and God. Stop the wars between our families. Stop the wars between our communities. That gospel, that good news, that's the power that's going to drive us forward. And then he ends just by some personal notes, and he says, so that you may also know that I am, what I am doing, I'm sending Tychus to you, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord. He'll tell you everything. I've sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. It's just a relational connection. And I love how he ends it. This is his benediction to them. He says, so peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, grace, which we've been saying, that means divine favor, be with all who love our Lord Christ with love incorruptible. One day there's going to be a song called Love Incorruptible. Tanner, you're probably going to have to write it. I'm sorry, buddy. Um, but I love that. This divine favor from Christ that's incorruptible. It's a love that is unassailable. That no matter what you do or is done to you, you have an opportunity to stand with God, to be that light like Dietrich Bonhoeffer was in prison, like Paul was 2,000 years before that, to be a part of the plan that God is doing, to be a part of that divine favor. He says, you're not alone. You're still a part of the plan of what God is doing. We're going to go into a time of confession. Because again, this is a story that all of us still have darkness. All of us still listen to lies. All of us still are at war with people. We are still works in progress. We're still toys from the island of misfit toys. And so we're going to take them time. John says that we are to confess our sins to one another. So we're going to be honest and just in prayer and reflection come before God. And then we're going to receive forgiveness through communion the sacrament, the sacred moment where he says, this is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. We're going to encounter God and then we're going to leave with him. I invite you now to pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you, uh, children that are still working on this life. Lord, still working on uh, figuring out how to do life with you and do life for you and for others. Lord, and so we ask forgiveness for the times where we are still in rebellion, where we are still at war with people, whether it be our neighbors or just people in our orbit. Lord, we ask for uh, forgiveness for the chinks in our armor. Lord, actions and lifestyles that aren't reflective of you. Lord, we ask for forgiveness for the lies that we believe.
Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axechurchleander.com.